Hello and welcome to the History on the Side podcast, the podcast that takes a look at the things that happen just beyond the pages of your history book, at the people, places, and ideas that may have been mentioned in passing but play a much larger role in the story. I'm Josh Burns, and today in our 10th episode, uh, we're going to take a step back from our Tales of the Conquistadors series and take a look at some of the top 10 lists that I have uh, for some of the things that interest me. I've got three top 10 lists for you today. Um, First is top 10 historical movies. Uh, Next is top 10 cool historical figures that I may definitely want to maybe do a show on a long time from now. And the third is the top 10 historical video games and how they have impacted me. This episode is going to be a little different um, as it is... Uh, unscripted. For those who have asked, uh, most of the time everything you've heard in the previous episodes has been um, me kind of going off of a script that I've written. And today's going to be a little bit different. I'm going to go a little off script here. I've got some notes here, but I'm not going to be um, reading directly from them or anything like that. Uh, we're just going to see what kind of happens. So um, it should be fun. All right. So first up is my top 10 historical movies. Um, and I know that there are going to be a lot of people who will say, uh, dude, Josh, you got to watch this, this one movie, um, and, or you picked that movie. Why in the world did you pick that movie? Uh, I'll just say right up front, I'm not a huge movie guy as far as uh, just going and seeing movies goes. I kind of have to want to really want to see a movie. Um, so just know that right up front. So anyway, number 10 on my top 10 historical movies uh, is Dances with Wolves, uh, the 1990 movie movie, uh, starring Kevin Costner. Um, And I know it's one of those that's just like, really, Dances with Wolves? But for me, that was one of those movies that was just so interesting because it showed uh, at least a fictionalized Hollywood version of the conflicts uh, and the tensions between... um, the white man moving out west into Native American uh, land. And I really enjoyed uh, that aspect of seeing Costner's character uh, integrating into that kind of a lifestyle. It was really cool. Number nine on the list is 310 to Yuma, the 2007 movie with Russell Crowe and Christian Bale and Ben Foster. To me, I don't know. That was just a fun Western movie. I really enjoyed that movie and seeing the... uh, Interplay between Crow and Bale was just really a lot of fun. Number eight would be the 2008 movie Defiance with Daniel Craig and Liev Shriver, uh, with who portray two Jewish brothers in Eastern Europe who are trying to protect other Jewish people who couldn't defend themselves against the Nazis. Uh, and that was just a very powerful movie for me, just seeing the the dynamic between the two and just the the uh, commitment that they had to that group of people. It was really awesome. Number seven was a movie uh, from 2001 called Enemy at the Gates, uh, where Jude Law plays uh, the Russian super sniper Vasily Zaitsev. Uh, I should I said Russian. It should be the Soviet Union super sniper. Uh, during the Battle of Stalingrad in 1943, um, and it depicts the famous, maybe not really true, maybe really didn't happen, uh, sniper duel between Zaitsev and Erwin Koenig. Uh, who in this movie was played by Ed Harris. And this movie, not really, uh, from what I've heard, too historically accurate, uh, but it did inspire me to get the um, Notes of a Russian Sniper, uh, which is a book by uh, Vasily Zaitsev, which kind of recounts some of his uh, adventures during the war. 
uh, and during the Battle of Stalingrad in particular, uh, and I definitely want to do a uh, episode on him uh, as it's very very interesting. Number six on the list is 2004's Hotel Rwanda, um, with Don Cheadle uh, playing the role um, and ha- who houses some Tutsi refugees from the Hutu milita- militia uh, in the country of Rwanda during the Rwandan genocide in 1994. And God, I just cried watching this movie. I've only been able to watch it once, uh, and it is just a very sad movie, uh, but very, very good movie. Number five on the list is 2009's uh, Invictus, where Matt Damon plays a uh, rugby player in on the Springbok South African rugby team, and Morgan Freeman portrays Nelson Mandela, uh, and just all the events that happened during the 1995 Rugby World Cup, which South Africa won. Uh, no one kind of no one really expected him to. Uh, and for me, it was just really interesting seeing the uh, the tensions and everything. Um, with the South African people after the fall of apartheid and just everything that goes on there uh, was really, really uh, interesting to see and to watch in the context of a sports movie. Number four uh, is, again, everybody knows this one. It's 2007's 300, where Gerard Butler portrays King Leonidas. Uh, Very high fantasy uh, version of the events of the Battle of Thermopylae. Uh, but it was a lot of fun watching the movie, even if it uh, took a lot of liberty with the actual historical documentation. But still, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And number three is very similar to number four. It is 1995's Braveheart. Uh, even if this movie is kind of held up as one of those of like what not to do as far as doing your research, whether it's... Uh, you know, the Scottish at the time period didn't wear kilts, and they definitely didn't have the blue face paint, and uh, the princess was a, just a tiny little girl in actual history during the time that Wallace was alive. Uh, just all those things, yeah, they're in the back of your mind, but it's just a lot of fun watching that movie. Number two on my list is uh, 2000's Gladiator uh, with Russell Crowe and Joaquin Phoenix, and just the... There's two quotations that really stick out in my brain whenever I uh, think about this movie. Um, and I really need to watch it, actually. Uh, the first is, What we do in life echoes in eternity. And the second is, My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, Commander of the Armies of the North, General of the Felix Legions, and loyal servant to the true Emperor Marcus Aurelius, Father to a murdered son, Husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. And those two lines are just, they just give me chills each time I hear them. And number one on the top ten historical movies list is 1998's Saving Private Ryan, uh, which is one of the first times I can remember um, arguing that I should see this movie because it was history, right? And uh, come on, Mom, it's history, and it's, it's really cool. Don't worry about all the guys getting blown up and shot up and everything. Uh, but... All joking aside, um, Hanks and Spielberg really did a an excellent job with this movie, especially the opening scenes with D-Day and everything like that. It's it portrays um, just a side of war, uh, and especially that particular conflict that is just so powerful and so moving. All right, next up is my 
top 10 cool historical figures that I may definitely want to maybe do a show on a long time from now. Uh, <laughs> and so um, this is this is just a wish list. I don't know um, if I'll get, a, get to any of these people or especially in this order. This one is not in any particular order. It's just kind of the, the, the um, order that they came into my brain. So uh, number 10 is Mansa Musa, uh, who is one of the richest people in history. Think Scrooge McDuck times Bill Gates, uh, and you kind of have an idea of relatively where he might be on the richest pe- people list. Um, but he was from an African kingdom of Mali, and uh, you know, on one of his pilgrimage, well, on his pilgrimage to Mecca, he is supposed to have given out so much gold on his way that he uh, lowered the value of gold for almost a decade after he left. Number nine on the list is Winston Churchill, uh, the British leader during uh, World War II. Uh, and I'm just going to play a short little five-minute clip uh, of a speech he gave in Congress. And here it goes that my American forebears have for so many generations played their part in the life of the United States, and that here I am, an Englishman, welcomed in your midst, makes this experience one of the most moving and thrilling in my life, which is already long and has not been entirely uneventful. I wish, I wish indeed that my mother, whose memory I cherish across the veil of years, could have been here to see. By the way, uh, I cannot help reflecting that if my father had been American and my mother British, (coughs) instead of the other way around, I might have got here on my own. (laughs) Sure I am that this day, now, we are the masters of our fate. That the task which has been set us is not above our strength. That its pangs and toils are not beyond our endurance. As long as we have faith, in our cause, and uh, an unconquerable willpower, salvation will not be denied us. In the words of the psalmist, he shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Not all the tidings will be evil. On the contrary, Mighty strokes of war have already been dealt against the enemy. The glorious defense of their native soil by the Russian armies and people. (laughs) Wounds have been inflicted upon the Nazi tyranny and uh, system which have bitten deep and will fester and inflame not only in the Nazi body, but in the Nazi mind. The boastful Mussolini (laughs) has 
crumpled already. He is now but a lackey and a serf, the merest utensil of his master's will. <laughs> Many people uh, have been astonished that Japan should in a single day have plunged into war against the United States and the British Empire. What kind of a people do they think we are? Is it possible they do not realize that we shall never cease to persevere against them until they have been taught a lesson which they and the world will never forget? Here we are, together, facing a group of mighty foes who seek our ruin. Here we are, together, defending all that to free men is dear. Twice in a single generation, the catastrophe of world war has fallen upon us. Twice in our lifetime has the long arm of fate reached out across the oceans to bring the United States into the forefront of the battle. If we had kept together after the last war, if we had taken common measures for our safety, this renewal of the curse need never have fallen upon us. Do we not owe it to ourselves, to our children, to tormented mankind to make sure that these catastrophes do not engulf us for the third time. It is not given to us to peer into the mysteries of the future. Still I avow my hope and faith, sure and inviolate, that in the days to come, the British and American people will for their own safety and for the good of all walk together in majesty, in justice, and in peace. Something that I just love about that is just the humor that he brings, the self-deprecating humor uh, that he brings in there, but also the gravitas that he brings uh, to that speech um, and just calling out... Uh, Mussolini and, and saying what he does about him is really hilarious to me and just his constant referral as the the Nazis and things like that just really hilarious to me number eight would be William Wallace the Scottish nat national hero that we talked about a little bit in Braveheart um, I think just finding out more about the man would be really uh, super interesting just to kind of dispel some of the myths from Mr. Gibson's movie um, and just he just seems like an all-around interesting guy. Number seven would be uh, El Cid Campeador, and I hope I'm saying that right, but El Cid Campeador, uh, the Spanish national hero who fought for and against the Moors. Um, just seems really cool, as you don't hear that too often. Also, there is a campaign in Age of Empires 2 uh, that deals with El Cid Campeador, and I just really want to see how much of that is actually true. Number six uh, is the Nelson Mandela, again, the leader of South Africa after the fall of apartheid um, and the first black president of the nation. And I think that would just be really cool to kind of dive into his story and everything like that. 
uh, especially his time on Robben Island um, and just uh, his experiences there um, as, as well as with the African National Congress and, and just hearing his story. I think that'd be really awesome. Number five is a guy who uh, I have been dying to get to read some more about him uh, ever since I first came across him. Uh, his name is Diogenes, and he was a Greek philosopher who is famous for uh, not only once telling Alexander the Great uh, to get out of his light and uh, presuming to order Alexander the Great around, but he also is supposed to have brought a live uh, plucked chicken into an assembly solely to mock Plato. Uh, the guy just sounds hilarious, and I really want to dive into his story a little bit. Number four on the list uh, is Ibn Battuta, and I hope I'm saying his name right uh, again. Always hoping I'm saying the names right, but Ibn Battuta, uh, who is from Morocco and is one of the first world travelers who actually wrote about his experiences, uh, and he traveled through most of the Islamic world in Africa and the Middle East uh, before eventually going as far uh, as China. And just, he wrote all about his experiences, and I, I have his book uh, on my bookshelf, and I'm just hoping to get to him uh, someday, just thinking that would be really cool and really awesome to see that uh, different perspective from what we normally hear. Number three would be Genghis Khan, uh, the head of the Mongol Empire, which is one of the largest land empires on the planet uh, in the 13th and 14th centuries. Uh, his empire stretched uh, at its peak all the way from China across Asia down into the Middle East a little bit uh, and all the way over into Europe. Um, and Genghis Khan, the man, uh, was actually born, uh, his name was uh, at birth was called Timujin, uh, and he was born uh, allegedly holding on to a clot of blood. Uh, and just anybody born like that is going to be uh, a very interesting guy. Um, and some of the stuff I've read about him is really, really cool. So I hope to get to him eventually. Number two on the list would be Saladin, um, who was a Muslim ruler who opposed the Christian Crusaders under Richard the Lionheart uh, and is supposed to have uh, survived two attempts on his life by the legendary assassins. Uh, the group that was made famous by uh, the Assassin's Creed video games and stuff like that. So uh, super cool, super interesting guy, Saladin, uh, and very, very cool, uh, very awesome. And number one on my top ten cool historical figures that I may definitely want to maybe do a show on a long time from now would be the professor John Ronald Rule Tolkien, uh, creator of Lord of the Rings uh, and all-around really crazy guy uh, when you get down to it. He, uh, at one point he was supposed to have dressed up as a Viking and chased uh, a, a comrade or a, a colleague down the road. Uh, and just the, the picture of that, um, uh, that, that kind of uh, academic, academically minded professor just doing that and dressing up in the face paint and all that kind of stuff and chasing a, a friend down the road just is hilarious. Plus he wrote Lord of the Rings and uh, and, and the Silmarillion and the Hobbit and all of that uh, Middle Earth legendarium, just so cool and laid the groundwork for fantasy stories as we know it, uh, and did some really amazing work with Beowulf and spoke so many different languages. Uh, his story is one that I really want to do at some point. And lastly, we come to my top ten list of historical video games, 
and just the cool little personal things that they mean to me. Uh, this list is actually a little bit of a cheat. It's got two honorable mentions that may as well be uh, numbers uh, 12 and 11. And this list is in a uh, top 10. This is a very specific order on this list. Uh, so honorable honorable mention number one uh, would be the Civilization 4 video game. Uh, computer game, I mean, which is a video game. Uh, and I, I have this as an honorable mention solely for the fact uh, at the opening intro to the base game is Christopher Tin's uh, song Baba Yetu which is an amazing song. It won awards. It's really awesome uh, and uh, is essentially the Lord's Prayer um, in Swahili. And it's just so amazing. And if you have a chance to listen to it, uh, pause this, go on YouTube, you know, whatever, and, and find, find a video of it and, and just listen to that song. It's really awesome. Honorable mention number two uh, <laughs> is, is old school. It goes back to... Uh, 1995 and Encarta Encyclopedia 1995 uh, that game that encyclopedia uh, had a trivia game called I think it was called Mind Maze or something like that where you could go through a castle and you could um, answer trivia questions to basically walk through the castle um, and it is it, it was a lot of fun and and that game more than I counted as a game anyway. That game, uh, more than anything else, uh, that game and number 10 on the list really, I think, started that itty bitty little spark of enjoying to enjoying re uh, researching and finding answers that I didn't know. Um, and my brother and I would spend hours on that game, uh, just trying to beat all the levels. But it, it, for me, it kind of instilled that, that desire to to know to look up and if I don't know something let's let's try and find it let, let me look it up and it was uh, it was a lot of fun so now that the honorable mentions are out of the way uh, number 10 on this list uh, might probably deserve to be a little higher but I'm gonna keep it here just because I don't remember much of the game except for playing it obviously uh, but it was a uh, a game called Where in Time is Carmen Sandiego? Uh, and it was a 1989 port to the original Nintendo Entertainment System, and it came with an encyclopedia. Uh, I know what you're thinking, huge nerd alert, and yeah, uh, that game came with an encyclopedia. You were supposed to find, uh, look up the answers to, to figure out where Carmen Sandiego had gone, and if you don't know who Carmen Sandiego is, just look it up. It, it was a lot of fun, those games. Uh, so yeah, Where in Time is Carmen Sandiego. Game had an encyclopedia with it, came with it, that, and honestly that encyclopedia stuck around much longer than the game did. And again, that, along, that game along with the Encarta encyclopedia that I mentioned in honorable mention number two uh, probably uh, did the most to really instill the idea of let's research is fun. Research, research can be fun. Um, and just the idea of if I don't know something, I want to look it up. So number nine on my list is a game that everybody is familiar with, um, and at least in some degree, uh, if, at least if you're my age anyway. Um, but it's now a little card game that I'm, I'm trying to find somebody who, will, who has it that I can play it. Uh, but it's Oregon Trail. Um, and 
I'll be honest, most of the time it was just wanting to go hunting and not really but about the historical stuff. But you start dying of dysentery because you didn't bring any medicine and you finally start figuring out how to play the game on the old uh, on the old CD-ROMs and everything. And so that was a lot of fun um, out there. And I think that uh, also helped with the early sparks of historical interest and just uh, thinking history can be fun. Number eight and number seven, I'm going to kind of lump together uh, just because I couldn't really uh, figure out which one should go where. And both of them have kind of uh, moved on from their historical roots into almost science fiction fantasy realms, as far as I can tell. But uh, number eight and number seven are Medal of Honor and Call of Duty, those two uh, franchises. Um, at least in the early days, more focused on the World War II aspect of things. And I know that, uh, I remember in Medal of Honor, there was, in one of the earlier ones, I can't remember which one, uh, it might have been Allied Assault, I can't remember. Anyway, uh, but one of them, the very first mission you're in is the D-Day invasion, and just, I think it was around the same time Saving Private Ryan came out, and so I'm like all hyped up on that, on that from that movie, and then you play it, and it's like, okay, this is hard, this is pretty difficult. Uh, and then Call of Duty had the Battle of Stalingrad, uh, the battles at Peleliu and things like that, and just uh, globe trotting all over the place. Uh, a lot of fun there. Number number six on the list uh, would be Age of Empires 3, um, simply because it continues the Age of Empires series and it kind of de- delves into the colonial um, expansion of the European powers and seeing what that was like. Uh, plus, there's a really cool Aztec campaign on the the uh, on the hypothesized uh, 1421 idea of you know what if Chinese uh, explorers found their way to the New World, which I mean is just a hypothesis. I'm not really uh, uh, too much of a proponent of that, but still, it was, it was an interesting thought experiment and and fun game to play. Number five on the list is Civilization Five. Um, a lot of fun game, a lot, lot of hours poured into that game, um, just learning and, and taking in the different aspects of culture and and uh, how that plays into world building and, and empires and things like that. A lot of fun there. Too Way too many hours on that game. Number four and number three, again, I'm going to lump in, and I'm probably cheating here, but it's my list and I don't care. Uh, number four and number three, uh, is um, Assassin's Creed 2 and then Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Uh, Assassin's Creed 2 just because it took everything that was awesome about Assassin's Creed 1 and made it even more awesome uh, and, and, and made that made that engine and everything better. Uh, and then Black Flag just took it and ran with that even more. Uh, Black Flag is the one where you're, you can play as a pirate. Um, and just the idea that the... That the, the the backstory between the, the assassins and the Templars and, and everything they're fighting for. Assassin's Creed 2 was really the first one that made, that made me take a step back and think, huh, that is a very interesting conspiracy theory almost and is really cool. So uh, those, two, those two games are a lot of fun. Number two on my list was narrowly beaten out by number one, but number two on my list is Civilization II, the multiplayer gold edition. Um, that one was a lot of fun just taking, uh, just seeing, I think with the Civilization games, it was seeing the progress of history in the 
uh, technologies that you can research and how one builds on top of another um, and just seeing how uh, that interacts with the government system and everything like that. Really rudimentary at the time. Uh, well, not rudimentary. Really rudimentary now, but really um, really pretty awesome at the time when I was a lot younger. Um, and just a lot of hours poured into that game as well. A lot of fun little side scenarios of like uh, Jurassic Park-ish um, scenarios as, uh, on there as well. A lot of fun. And then number one on my list uh, is a game that I have mentioned before a couple of times in the uh, first nine episodes of this podcast. It is Age of Empires 2, the Conqueror's expansion, um, and then with all the new stuff coming out, it was really cool too. Uh, but Age of Empires 2, uh, Conquerors was one of those games that really triggered the historical interest. I remember um, using the stuff I learned in that game. Um, and in the Civilization 2 game, um, taking the, the things I learned in that game and using it on tests and things like that. And how did you study, Josh? I remember telling my mom, and she asked me, how did, how did you study? How did you know that? And I was like, I played Age of Empires 2, and it was in there, and it was awesome. Uh, and that that also um, helps trigger some of the, the fun uh, historical characters that I maybe... Uh, want to do an episode on uh, guys like El Cid, Campeador, and um, uh, Saladin, and, and Genghis Khan, and things like that. All of them had their own little scenario um, scenarios in there um, that just poured so much time into, and just got to really enjoy um, learning and uh, enjoying those games. So, yeah, that's my top ten list of historical video games. And that about does it for this episode of the History on the Side podcast. Thanks for indulging me. I honestly never really thought that I'd be disciplined enough to make it to 10 episodes. Um, so again, thank you to everyone who has been listening and downloading and telling your friends about me uh, and the show. I really appreciate that. Thank you for the reviews uh, on iTunes and other places. It really means a lot, and it helps get uh, the show noticed and helps get the word out that this little podcast is chugging along. Uh, and I hope that you're all learning something, and I hope you're enjoying it. Um, and shout-outs to all of you guys. I can't really... Uh, there's too many people to name, and it would take me forever. Uh, one day I'll probably do that. But uh, thank you to everyone who has listened, um, and here's to the next 10, 20, 30 episodes. We'll see. Uh, but thank you, for again, just for, for listening. Uh, tell your friends, tell your, your co-workers, tell your distant relations and all that um, that the podcast is, is, can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, all those good places. And you can get in touch with me at historyontheside at gmail.com, and I would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time with the actual conclusion, hopefully, to the Tales of the Conquistador series. Thanks. Thanks.